Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we are, I'm kind of doing, I guess you could say, a Wellness Wednesday of a sort and a spring cleaning of a sort because we're going to talk a little bit about some spiritual spring cleaning, uh, which in turn, will help a little bit in terms of your mental, physical, and spiritual, and overall health. So I've asked a couple of people of God to come on and help kind of give us some guidance in terms of how we do that. So I have, both of them have been on before. I'm welcoming them back. Um, Minister um, Neil Jones, who is a youth minister here in Central Florida, and uh, Reverend Charles Blackman who is also here with us from Georgia. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good morning, ladies. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Great to have both of you on. Uh, before we go forward, let's give a little bit of insight in terms of both of you. And I know, uh, Minister Jones, I know you can't be on that long, but I'm going to start with you first and, and uh, give us a little insight in terms of what you do. I know you work with youth ministry mostly. Yeah, I'm a youth director and youth minister here at Masculine Missionary Baptist Church in the historic town of Eatonville, Florida. Uh, my take on what I do a lot of is a lot of community outreach, and I focus a lot on uh, mental health and education for youth. Uh, of course, the foundation knows the word of God, but we make sure you know kids are getting their things and seeing other options and exposure to education, different colleges, cities, and stuff like that. So that's a lot of what we do. Welcome. And Reverend Blackman, tell us about yourself. Again, uh, thank you for allowing me to be on your show. I'm uh, located, I live in a city called Warner Robins, Georgia, right below Macon, but my ministry takes me to Macon, Georgia. I'm on the south side of Macon, and the current church, I'm a pastor in August, Chris Street Church of God in Christ. And uh, we're, we're in the heart of, of, of what we call the making but what we're focused on with our youth ministry because I do have my own youth ministry reach one teach one ministry we like to work with the children like uh, mr. Jones said and getting them involved in the education and further exposing them that's what we're working on we take the young people that bring them to healthy relationships we bring them from what they really usually get into on a, in their little street area bring them into a forum where they can meet other children or other youth that have aspirations and goals outside of the norm 
And it allows them to see that there's something outside of their, their circle. So that's why our strength comes for giving them that. Once someone sees something, they can pursue it. So that's what we're doing, reaching them and teaching them. Well, bless you both for your ministries, and, and thank you for taking the time out today. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I really, really uh, have been moved to do this because of concerns. And I know, Minister Jones, you probably know a little bit more of this than uh, Reverend Blackman. It's going on over all over the country, but here in Central Florida, we have just seemed to be pouring on repeatedly with um, violent crime and, and mm-hmm. the, the violent crime that affect our youth. So it's good that you both deal in youth ministry because it, we have to kind of start young in terms of finding out what the motivations are for, uh, you, you know, committing these crimes. And, you know, also to to talk to our youth, how do we talk to our youth about um, staying steadfast in their spirituality while seeing this going on, you know, and not necessarily being lured, but at, and at the same time for those that aren't being lured, but not necessarily walking in fear, but walking more in their faith as they see this happening. So I'm going to start with you, Minister Jones. Um, that's a good question. It's an in-depth question. It also comes with a layered answer. I think the first thing we have to do, like I do with my with our with our kids here. I got to be honest with them. And uh, after we have certain incidents in uh, Central Florida, like there's a shooting, but several of my kids have been at schools or there were shootings or at a school event. My first thing is to hear them and see how they feel. You know, did, you know, how do you feel about that? Are you afraid? Are you concerned? Because I've learned that hearing, hearing them out about how they feel guides me to show them or to have an insight of how to direct them to the absolute truth. Like okay, I hear you saying, but I don't. I don't want you to be afraid, for lack of a better word, to be um, worried about certain things because that person, that person has an issue. That doesn't mean you have to be afraid of everybody. You got to be cautious and look out for certain things. So once I, you got to once you establish where they are mentally, that's when I'm able to see how we can approach it. Because I can't just tell them, can't just come out with them saying everybody's a criminal. Watch out for yourself, because men that be scared of everything, because they don't know much, if, if that makes sense. So trying to equip them with how to look at things and how to process things uh, with wisdom, to move about throughout school and the community, that's pretty much the frame of how we try to work, how I try to talk to these kids, because now in Florida, you got you don't have to have a permit to carry a gun in Florida now. They passed that bill last Monday. So mm-hmm. now the, I don't want the kids to be afraid Everybody has a gun. I need you to be able to understand what you need to do. You can't just be afraid. You got to be wise about where you're at and what you're doing and then make moves accordingly. What's your stance on that, Reverend Blackman? Well, I think uh, Mr. Jones has hit it on the head when he talks about assessment. Assessment. In order to help anyone, any group or individual, anything, you've got to first do assessment of what you're dealing with. Same if you go to the doctor. And what we've done, and I've taught my workers that 
get to know that child, get to know that person, to know what they're thinking. What, what, what was reality to them versus reality to you? When we come to a person, we're operating on what's real to us, what we feel on the inside, what we think, and what we see in our view. But theirs may not be that. Does their background bring them where they were subjected to a lot of violence? Or are they coming from a, a background where there's not much violence? So you have to assess where they are to determine where they go because they are all, all of us are facing the same thing, but we're only going to deal with it based on what we bring to the table. And if a young person is used to a lot of violence, he's already prepared how he's going to handle his violence. So where his values and cores are are already in a different place. So once you get that information, then you're able to get them to help and direct them where they need. Example, our point of take, if I won't take too long, I had two incidents that I've seen. One young man I had that I was talking to, talking to him, and, and um, I knew his father was in jail, and I kind of did a back history on why. But I did not know that he was present when his father entered the altercation. He actually was at the park with his, with his father when he was accosted, and the shooting started, and his father ended up shooting some people. So he's witnessed this. He's seen this. Mm-hmm. So now I have to operate him. He shows no signs of it affecting him, but we know that that's in him now. So you have to look at that versus uh, what we share with him. That's the first thing I would say is start assessing them, find out what's real. Does life and death is real to them? Some people don't even embrace death. They don't understand it. They don't even care about it. They don't know. Death don't mean anything to them. So you really have to find out where they are. That's the first step I would take. All right. So I guess for those that, for example, this young person that you mentioned that already has, I guess, you know, a negative interaction already stored away, that's kind of, you know, uh, I guess downloaded if you want to, you know, use the technical terms now, if you want to relate it to something like that, downloaded into the memory banks, you know, uh, um, into how they react to certain things. How do you how do you get rid of that, or do you are you able to get rid of such an impactful event like that? Um, and what spiritual tools do you use, or can you use, to eliminate that, to eject that from that person's psyche? What I did was in talking to him already is is the fact that. Ask him what did he think about that situation. And then when you look at them and how has it affected him in his current atmosphere, he seemed to show no signs. He seemed to be in a healthy uh, atmosphere compared to his grandparents involved, his mother. But being in a spiritual realm where we're able to feed him was wrong. He needs to find out what caused that and how would he prevent it and how would not to let that happen to him. That's where we're trying to feed it. Whatever's inside a person, if you don't feed it and change it, it's going to feed off it. So we're feeding him with the spiritual relationships. We're bringing in the healthy relationships where we're handling differences. The biggest thing I tell with our young people, they need to learn how to handle differences. The scripture tells us, to be, be angry, but sin not. That's one of the first scriptures I share with our young people because we, they, they deal, everybody deal with anger. We give it emotions. I was doing a study the other day. I mean, starting from the 19th century, early 14th century, I mean, there was thought to be like 
680 emotions. I mean, you can get up to 90 emotions now. These things are in us. So if I have emotions of anger, we got to deal with that anger, but teach them how. What does the Bible say? It's okay to be angry, but what you do with that anger is what, what we're teaching them. And the Bible says be angry, but sin not. Talk to people. Get a resource. But the biggest key that I'm finding out that's happened or will help our children, they're going to have to value life. I just lost a 19-year-old, 18-year-old, and a 26-year-old in my neighborhood. Both of those young men was in my church. I buried one. The other one, I, I, I had to go to the hospital to see as, as he died. Okay, I got to make sure that these young people value life. Because if I don't value something, I won't protect it, and I won't avoid what takes it away. But that's what we're doing in the aspect of reaching inside of them, telling them how to handle what they have in them, and value the life that they have. That, that, that's the whole truth. Uh, I, I had to bury, several years ago, I did almost four, four funerals in a span of like, in a month, everybody was under the age of 20. And I remember how the kids came up to the casket and saw their friend there, and it was as if they didn't, um, how you say, they didn't receive the, the reality that he's gone because a lot of these kids do not understand that death is not a side effect. Death is an absolute uh, permanent consequence. You, you're not coming back from it. And if they don't value life, I mean, there's they, no telling them what's going to happen. We just had a shooting here just uh, over Easter weekend. Mm-hmm. For nothing, you know, for nothing. And crazy thing was, where the shooting was, that's why I used to play basketball at growing up. You know, so it's like it's not it's not like it's hitting far away from home. I think if they don't value life, and I think Pastor Blackman hit it on, he definitely hit on the head. It's like what these kids see and what's in them. You, I don't know if it's something you can get it out of them to answer your question. I don't know if you get it out of them. You have to train them and teach them what actually happened. And what was good about it, if there was good in it, what was bad about it, and, and make it make the reality plain for them. I also think we have to take away the gray area for 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 some for these kids and young adults. We have to get away. It's either black or white. There's no gray in between. Either you're going to go this way, or you can go the other way. There's no. Okay, we have to take away the the opportunity to suggest and have options. Like if you don't do this, you can do that. No, no, no. It's either this or that. Because once you get in trouble. With the police, or if you do something like that, this listen, it, it's bad because nobody has. I haven't seen a state that has more strict laws uh, than the state of Georgia. It's a saying in Georgia: you come on, come on vacation, leave on probation. Because that's where I was. I was. Ex, I'm ex law enforcement out of the state of Georgia, so I know all too well. Georgia will lock you up in a heartbeat <laughs> um, if you're around the wrong people at the wrong time, and if you're not careful about it, you'll be. You'll be in a nutshell, you'll be screwed. These kids need to have better examples at home first, because by the time we mm-hmm. get to Mr. Uh, Blackman and I, all we can do is kind of just screw in, you know, screw in or, or repair the best we can, but we can't fix the whole thing. Speaking of at home, that's mm-hmm. that is is a tough one because you do have possibly a generation of parents that are either non-believers or if they believe they're not strong believers, um, and, you know, some of them are the type of parents that say, I'm not going to force my child to go to church. I'm not going to force my child to go to Sunday school or Bible study, you know, when they get to be an adult. 
you know, uh, you know, they can they can decide. Well, I'm going to let them decide now. Other, unlike, for example, my parents are like, you're going to do what I say now. You're doing this now, and then when you become an adult, you'll decide after that mm-hmm. point. But you're going to have this instilled now. But you have a reluctance now to for for parents to do that a lot of because they don't want to deal with the resistance from the child. It seems. Um, so number one, how how do you get parents to become, uh, I guess, more spiritually in tune with their children and and to kind of lead them, uh, you know, give them a little more guidance? And then two, for the child that may want to explore, maybe they have friends or they've seen somebody that walks in the light, but the parents aren't necessarily driven to do that. How do you get a child to be tough enough, to be strong enough? to say, I want to take this path because I think this is more beneficial for me in my formation. You know, you do have a few children out there that are wise enough to recognize that but may not have the support to do it. I I think the latter part. Go ahead, Pastor Black. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, well, I was going to address in your in a two two part question because she's right on the place of where I've been dealing with. I have several parents I know that I have shown we have put in place for their children, but they don't bring them. And mm-hmm. what I've started doing is what we all have to do is what the prison system does and what the uh, community does is what the law does. Place accountability where it is. I went to those parents. And I've given them the accountability. Listen, this is on you. This is not going to be on your child. Not only being the truth, this is what I want to say, the truth. The answer to your question is we're going to have to tell somebody the truth. The truth to the parent is your child acted up in school is your fault. Your child laying in that casket, that's your fault. So we don't want to do that. But if we don't give Mm -hmm. them the truth, the scripture lets us clearly know that you, you should know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We're trying to do what the scriptures were, were supposed to do, and that's what's working, Pastor, so hard. As I mature in age, I'm relying more on what the scripture says than what I feel, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm giving. If, if your child... I'm not saying if a child in church grew up the right way, it's not going to happen to him, but we know his soul is saved. But the fact is, if little Johnny is tearing up the school and little Johnny never comes to church, never comes to a youth group, never gets into a positive environment, and it's available, it's your fault. you got to deal with that now because this is what you created. That's the truth. And the second part to your question about what do we do for the child that wants it, once again, the truth. See, I found out this. If you give a child Jesus, if you give him the truth, Jesus will work for him. It's not what Mm -hmm. I can do for him. I'm going to give him who Jesus is, and I plant that seed. Now he's equipped with what we were told scripturally to give. And it's not in my hands. It's now in the hands of the creator that brought that child into the world. So I planted that seed. That's the only thing that can help them when their parents fail them. That's right. You, we got to be have enough faith and confidence to let the scripture do its job. And like you said, we can't we 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 can't take responsibility or take or think we have a sense of control 
of that kid uh, going. We have to give him the word, give him a seed, and keep going. And as he answered the first question, I couldn't have said it better. Parents have to take responsibility. But because we are clergy and the white gloves have been on clergy for a while, we can't say hard truths at times. But the truth is, like he said, if a parent has to take majority of the responsibility, all the responsibility about what their child is doing, where they're going. Uh, I've said this plenty of times. I preached this, and I said, the Bible says clearly in Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they get older, they will not depart. Tells you there in principle, the way you train that child up, that's the way they're going to go. That that specific proverb did not say train them up in the way of the Lord. That's later on in the New Testament. But that specific proverb was a principle. However you raise that child up, that's how they're going to go. And whichever way they go, how far deep they go into it, mom and dad, you have a lot to do with that, a whole lot. Because I was born and raised on the east side of Cleveland. We saw a whole lot of stuff. And all through, and all my parents' kids, all of us, are ordained ministers. Because that's what we saw mom and dad. That's how they raised us. So they take pride in that because they say, hey, we did our job with the Lord. So it's a matter of holding the right people accountable and letting the word do his work. I, I appreciate how Pastor Blackman said that. He said it perfectly. All right. So, but the thing is, too, you you both mentioned uh, a little bit about scripture, and how much scripture is, you know, I guess being imparted. Number one, how much scripture is being retained. Number two, and how much scripture is relatable to today's circumstances, or how do you relate scripture? And you mentioned Old Testament, New Testament. Either Testament is much older than either or any of us are. How do you take something that was uh, established so long ago and make it relevant? I think that's the challenge. Um, the prophets of old times, before Jesus was born, 13, 1500 before he, 1500 before he was born, they had a message, and they spoke about Jesus. When Jesus got here on this earth, he spoke about the prophets or spoke what the prophets said. The message was still the same. The apostle Paul was converted. He had a message that stemmed from Jesus, and Jesus stemmed from the word. He was the living word from the prophets. The word remained the same through the beginning of time. It has not changed. The message is the same, and we can't be no clergy should be arrogant enough to think that the word is going to change today. If Jesus spoke what the prophet said before he was born on this earth and when what Apostle Paul said, that message still works. How we make it relevant, first we got first that whoever's presenting it must believe it and have it for themselves and their heart and studied it and understand that the word is enough. One thing about the Holy Spirit, when the word comes forth, it the Holy Spirit will penetrate to, to those who are listening and will speak to them according and to according to how they will understand it. God still works and speaks in that way. But the word is very much relatable. The word still works. Of course, it has to be presented to those in the, with the vernacular to, to whomever you are talking to. You know, if I'm talking to an older congregation versus my younger people, of course, my language may be different in how I re, how I express it. But that scripture, I think that still works. If I could add to what uh, Reverend Jones is saying is when we are now, relevancy is the number one key. 
I look at the words, Psalms 119 and 105 says, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. That scripture means the same thing it did hundreds of years ago as it does now. But the key to it is I apply it to the user and the needer based on their situation. We must not stop at preaching on Sunday morning, but teaching on Monday through Saturday. That's the key. See, preaching gives a dialect, it gives a uh, connotation, it gives a spiritual emphasis, but teaching gives clarity. Teaching gives use, and teaching gives instruction. And what we have to make time for is teaching our children and adults the applicable use of the word, the applicable use of the word, how it should apply. So, yes, we we look at food. We eat the same food that we ate years ago. Now, my mom probably didn't give me no bean casserole, but they now make beans in a casserole for somebody to eat it. She just gave me some straight beans, but they still beans. We mm-hmm. have to make it applicable to the environment and the times for that person. Not change it, but make it applicable to who we share in the world and teach it. Uh, Minister Jones, because I know you have to uh, leave us pretty quickly, I'm going to give you uh, the the last word for this half hour in terms of uh, what do you do? Do you make like schedule an appointment with your children? Because you know we don't we don't sit down for the most part and have dinner together. Everybody has schedules now, even the children. Um, you know they have they even have to schedule play dates. To, to meet with friends, you know, there's relatively little to no spontaneousness in terms of how things are done. So in order to, I guess, get this to a point where it resonates, where it sticks with the children and, and so that they can start uh, thinking a different way, walking a different way, talking a different way, um, and, and clearing out some of the negativity that they've already encountered. How, what is the action plan? Um, that's a good question. I tend to do what I do with my kids is be intentional. Uh, a parent, a guardian has to be intention, very intentional about what they give their child. Um, for example, in my house, uh, at 7 o'clock, there are no more cell phones. There are no more tablets. We are sitting down together. We're going to watch TV together or after we eat dinner, or we're going to spend time together. And as we spend time together, we have topics we talk about. I have, my wife and I, we become very intentional about that. And however a household decides to do that, I would strongly suggest for them to look at their schedule and make time for it. Because my dad had taught me something a long time ago. You always will make time for what you want to do. And if, and if a parent wants to do that, a guardian wants to do that and impart into their child, they are going to make time can figure out which way is the best way to be, uh, which way is effective to impart uh, knowledge, peace, wisdom, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Word into their child, whatever the case may be. A parent can make the time and be intentional about getting little Johnny and little little Rebecca to soccer practice and basketball practice and softball practice on time and pick them up. You can make the time to talk to them about anything and just being intentional and making it a part of your lifestyle and not so much of a chore 
to what they can or, or what you will and will not do. Because, you, you, like I said, you are going to make time for what you want to do. That's for any and everybody. I know you have a serious uh, matter to attend to, so I'm going to let you go. But I thank you for your time. I, I know you'll be joining us back when you can. Um, blessings to you and, and your congregation and to the uh, person that you are uh, taking care of this afternoon. And, and thank you for your I time. Appreciate God bless. God bless, Pastor Blackman. God bless you. Nice meeting you. And we're going to take a quick break. We're going to return with Pastor Blackman. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. We've started with our youth, but it's not just our youth that need a path to some spiritual spring cleaning. So, you know, let's talk about this. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple, dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And again, we want to thank uh, Minister Neil Jones for his uh, time today, uh, Youth Minister over at Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church in Eatonville, Florida. We're back here with Reverend Charles Blackman. And the number, if you have questions or comments, it's 516-387-1944. So, uh, Pastor Blackman, we talked mostly about youth but you know we have adults young adults not so young adults that have been carrying weights been carrying luggage of a sort been carrying uh you know old bad memories um bad experiences um bad information in terms of how they should handle their lives and so I guess I want to find out a way of how we encourage people who are dealing with this to kind of let go of some of that so that they can bring in a new perspective, a fresh spiritual perspective to their lives in terms of how they conduct and how they deal with those that aren't so fortunate to be able to, you know, have this second chance, so to speak. Well, when I hear your question, my, I have this, this thing about teaching. I guess sometimes I watch how Jesus talked in parables, and he was trying to make things relatable. When I look at courses and situations, I try to make them to where that they can relate to the people that you're talking to and understand it in a natural way. 
uh, I'll use this for the health and, the, and things like this. A, a person that's overweight, you cannot help them lose weight till they first determine what? I am overweight. Are we right? Mo mo most that's people in what condition, the condition they have until they recognize that negative condition. So what, what I've tried to do is, first of all, get them to accept or help them understand they won't help or need help. I have, throughout my ministry career, I've worked with a lot of people. A lot of people, it may, I, maybe I did help them, but maybe I did not. But I never, I, a lot of them that I feel I didn't help because I didn't first find out that they won't help. And mm. that's the first step. That's the first step. If we really want to help somebody, I tell my uh, uh, evangelism team, those that's going out to reach people, I said, before you help someone, you really need to know what they need, what they want. So as we look at the spiritual spring cleaning, we have to look at what people have. We, we have to look at what do, do they want to get better? Do they want to change? So when that is done, then we can offer some things. There are some things we can offer once that's accomplished. So it's like you, for example, you're talking about a person that's overweight. They may, okay, so let's say they recognize and accept that they are overweight. I think the challenge is from that point after the recognition, and they may have already recognized that, to get them to understand why it's not a good thing, why it's not a healthy thing, why there is a better way and why they should invest, because that's that's going to be the key there, why they should invest in a better way. It's the same thing with a person who is doing a lot of negative things, you know, uh, has, I guess, in, in what I have come to uh, understand in some cases a bad or, or um, a flawed moral compass. Okay. How do you get someone, I guess, to recognize that? And then once they recognize that, how do you get them to understand that it's not a good thing, that there's a, there is a better way? Well, when we deal with people and, and once they realize that, okay, I don't want this, then you're right. You got to show them a better way. What I practice is showing them, sometimes sharing my experience or sharing experiences of others that have been where they are and moved to a better place. I say that because I, I minister in South Macon and my and it's a, it's a, it's a impoverished area and We've watched a lot of people come into the church, and a lot of people say, you've been here. A lot of these people, don't, they don't stay here when you bring them into the church because our goal in their life is not to bring them. They grew up in, in a poverty area. So when they learn better and, give this, and, and know that there's a better out there, they move from that area because as long as they are tied to the area, there's a prone of going back to it. So when I show people that's better, I help them move to the place where they're better, through scriptures, through practical things that they see. If they're struggling in a sinful area, I have to show them from the scriptures where going to do, by doing these things, it will re relieve the pressure of the sinful side effects in their life. There's a scripture that says, let us lay aside every sin and wait. 
and that so easily beset us. In that scripture, there's two aspects. A lot of people are dealing with sin, and a lot of people are just dealing with things in their life. That's weight. Spring, when I was thinking about you talking about fear of uh, spring cleaning, I had to come back to this where in spring cleaning, the first thing I had to figure out, challenge is what do I want to get rid of and what do I want to keep? That's the biggest challenge in anything with spring cleaning. What do I want to keep and what do I want to get rid of? So I have to look at what's hurting me versus what's not hurting me. Once they can see what's hurting them, that helps them to be able to want to get rid of it. Sometimes I can see what's hurting you before you see it. I've gotten used to being a part of my life. I've gotten used to carrying that weight. But once I sh you show them that this is hurting you, and if you get rid of this, it can make you better. Throw this out. Okay, so, but the first thing we start with, what do you want to keep and don't keep? Once you get past those, then you work with what you need to keep and you don't need to keep. Those in life, in your life, what we call hobbies, habits, relationships, activities, all those are the same. We look at those individually in their lives and help them identify what they need to get rid of, what they want to get rid of, all together. That's the start. But Yes, but you know how that goes sometimes. It's like when you're doing that spring cleaning, that physical spring cleaning, and you're sorting out stuff, and you look at that, it's like, I don't know if I want to get rid of that. I might need that someday. Or, you, or you've or you got some sort of sentimental attachment to it. So, you know, how do you get past something like that? <laughs> That's really funny as you say it. I'm going to tell you how I get past it. <laughs> I look at something better. <laughs> okay. I, I, I really have to look at something better. And until I see something better, I'm going to still try to keep what I got. Mm. Okay. So what's the better? Let's talk about what's the better. When you're trying to get someone to let go of something because something better is there. And they're, they're going to say, you know, because some people, they need to see, feel, touch it or whatever. The intangible is, is kind of hard for some of them, um, or they don't know how to make the intangible tangible. You know, for example, we talk about seeing Christ, seeing God and other people. But these days, sometimes that's a little hard. Now, what I look at when I talk about the better, the better to me when people come is like in their life. Because remember now, what's better than one person is not better to the next person. But what makes them feel better? And when they see it, I think what we do when we try to help people lose weight, we show them people that are feeling better and they get to share their experience. That's why we have something we call, uh, for our men, we have man-to-man -man on the first Tuesday and we have women in word on the first excuse me, the third Thursday and the third Tuesday. What we do, we get a group of men, they come together, and they share about things that men deal with. That's letting them have an individual approach, and they can get a, a, a perspective of something from someone that has been through what they're going through, have given up what they're giving up to, and how their life is one-on-one. -on -one. Same thing with the women. In the women, they get and they do the same thing. They share 
where I was, what I did. We do a lot of changing when we can attach to it and it becomes real. You, it has to become real to them. So you put them in an environment where there's people to share their testimony because the word of God does to go, and I know I'm heavy on the word of God. He said we overcome by the blood of the lamb and our testimony. That's why we have so many counselors. That's why people go to counselors, why we have so many now uh, people that are mentors because they're able to impart in someone. So getting someone to impart in them that have experienced it, done that, and overcame it is one of the keys. Okay, so you know what's coming. Oh, man, that just sounds like so much work. Why is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, we we I don't I think that we think that when Jesus died on the cross, you know, we hear that he paid it all, he died for our sins. I think we got the impression that we're not supposed to have to do any work or we're not supposed to have to work that hard. How do you get people to understand that They've got to pull their weight. That you know, they've got a role to play. Um, and yes, it's going to be a little bit like work. Well, the way I do it is, I take it back. I deal with a lot with the natural to work with the spiritual. If I go to work, I'm not going to get promoted if I don't put in the work. If I don't put in the effort, it's the same spiritual. And that, and what you're talking about now is bringing people to realization and awareness. You are so true when you say so many people. They think because they just show up at church, everything's okay. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. A spiritual relationship is just like a physical relationship. That's why marriages fall apart. You, mm-hmm. Because you marry, don't make the marriage work. Nope. Because you go to the gym don't mean you're going to work out. Okay, there has to be input to get output. And and so we have to make it plain. You have to input to output and and be relatable to the scriptures because the Bible tells you if you have not because you ask not and you ask amiss, you have to do something to get something in any facet of life. The key that I've told a lot of young people is that the order in the earth that we live, it's the same order whether you're in the church or out the church. That's why the scripture says, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If I don't plant mm-hmm. corn, I'm not going to get corn. If I don't plant water, then I'm not going to get that. So if I don't put in reading, I'm not going to benefit from the word of God. If I don't put in prayer, I'm not going to get the results of prayer. If I don't put in relationship, I'm not going to get the results of a spiritual relationship. So in practicality, it's the same in in the physical as the spiritual. And unless we can communicate that and that become a part of a person's life, it will not be effective. They will continue to go in and come out. You can go to the grocery store, but if you don't buy no food, you go home hungry. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It sure does. And I was thinking about what you were saying about the gym. <laughs> I had to laugh. Uh, I, I I usually go to the gym in the morning. I'm sitting here with my gym clothes on, but I haven't gone to the gym. But <laughs> that's another story, again, because I'm having to do some other things first. I've had to delay it. But I go to the gym. The reason I'm laughing, too, is because I go to the gym, and I see 
especially a lot of these younger people in, let's say, for example, the women's locker room, and they're in these nice, pretty gym clothes, and they're taking, they're posing and taking these selfies. And, you know, I mean, I was, I don't, I don't think I would have been one of those people. I don't know. But I know when I was younger, I, I had a lot less uh, extra jiggle, unwanted jiggle when I was younger. But I don't think I was around taking a whole bunch of selfies and posing them with them and sending them out. My purpose for the gym, because I'm thinking there's other things I'd rather be doing than hanging out in the gym. I'm here for the for for me, and I guess maybe because I'm older, I'm there because I've got work to do. I did not prepare for the extra that came along, you know, because my mindset when I was younger is that it's going to be this way all the time. But things change. And so I look at these younger women, there's a part of me that wants to say, you know, you, you know, get, you know, have the picture, but you have to do the, put in the work to, you know, remain close, not exactly, because you're never going to be the way you were, but close to, you know, something like you are now or something that you want to be. Otherwise, if you don't, if you're just taking pictures, but you're not putting in the work, that's, it's, you know, it's all for nothing. You know, so. Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm visualizing and laughing at what you're saying. Okay, when you're looking at those people in the gym taking the poses and selfies, uh, my first question was, are they in a predicament that they really need to be in the gym? Okay, those that are taking those pictures, why am I saying that? Mm-hmm. What we need normally drives what we do. Now, me personally, as I've aged, I'm not going to be taking selfies anymore because I need to be working out. Yeah. Maybe a few years ago when I wasn't like that, I may take a couple pictures. But it goes back to the same thing in our Christian walk. When we realize we need, we do more. See, there's a difference between, Lady G, between what I need and what I want. See, Mm. when my need kicks in, and like right now, I gotta go to the doctor because I have to uh, get an MRI done because I, I I strained my uh, ligament. I mean, my tendon. So, mm. so I I don't have an option. I mean, I do. I don't have to go. And and there's some side effects. I need to go. You go to the gym. You're not taking pictures, selfies, because you need to be doing. Same thing mm. in our spiritual walk. When we come to the realization that we need Jesus, when we need the Lord. We need help. It, 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 this when we change. I find it so funny. You, I, you, I watch you as I grew up. I've been with the Lord for quite some time, young age. But I remember I go back home and go to places where I see older people, that they were older than me when I left home. They were nowhere near the Lord. They wasn't caring about the Lord. But I look at their life now. They've been spared to live a long time, but they have grown to understand, I need the Lord. They're serving him now when they didn't serve him earlier. See, mm. need overrides want. They want to go to gym, but they don't need to work out. But okay. if they need to work out, that's going to drive them. Our need, our need for mm. spiritual cleaning, our need for renewal, our need for a relationship with the Lord is totally different now at 60, 59 and 60 than it was years ago. So we're going to be able to draw closer and seek more because of our need. 
Okay. All right. So how do you get someone – well, first of all, we're going to take a quick, quick break, and we're going to come back to that because what I want to know is how do you get someone to understand what they need because what someone sometimes what someone thinks they need isn't what they actually need. So, but we're going to talk more with Reverend Blackman when we come back. The number is five one six three eight seven one nine four four. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. And civil rights attorney Kevin Anderson will be on with us tomorrow. In the meantime, welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we're talking a little spiritual spring cleaning with Reverend Charles Blackman. And the number, if you have any questions in the next few minutes, 516-387-1944. And I was asking before the break, Reverend, is how do we... Uh, get people to understand what their actual need is versus what their perceived need is. Wow. You're probably going to be asking the question that even when Jesus was walking this earth, that had to be answered. Because getting a person to see their need is probably more difficult than anything in the world because you can't make a person do anything. You have to give them the tools. That's what we struggle with our children at when they grow up. And some of them go different ways. It, it frustrates us because we feel that they, we gave them what they need, we told them. But in reality, I don't really think you can make them get it because if we make people have received something, we've altered the way of the earth. We've altered the way God created. Christ has cre- God created a world by choice. Every man has a choice. We're getting in trouble in legislation because we're trying to make people have Christianity. We're trying to make people have stuff. Well, you really can't make a person see the need. You can only identify it and show them the benefit. They'll have to accept that on their own. It's acceptance. We can't make a person accept Christ. We can show them. Because as bad as we know that Christ is the answer to the world's problem, there are so many people still won't accept them. So I may get a different response from someone else, but I have not been able to make anyone see their need or accept their need. I just only identify and prepare them for it. But don't I have a certain responsibility to um, help bring people to Christ, to open people's eyes, to make them understand 
as a follower of Christ, don't I have a responsibility to put forth some sort of effort? Oh, I don't think I don't think we're saying we shouldn't put forth effort. That's why we got Bible study. That's why we got Sunday school. That's why we have men and men, men or women in word, and we have man to man ministry. We put the right. tools there, but didn't have. Okay. But wait a minute. Okay. Doing Bible study and Sunday school and going to church and everything, that requires that people, like you say, feel the need that they have to come to church, that they have to come to Bible study and choir rehearsal and all of that. So you have that there, but those types of tools seem to be for the upkeep and maintenance of those that are already in the word that are already living the Christian faith. How do we go out? What tools do we use to go out and help people who are not in the word, who do not know Christ to, to change perspective, to clean their house, to get their house in order and to come I love what you're asking because you just identified to what, during the pandemic, God moved our ministry to another place. And we operate now as a church without walls. That's what we operate on. And since the pandemic, every time we've gotten over the last year that when we weren't outside, things didn't operate like we were. What we have to do is become a, a visible in the community and in the places other than the church. You're exactly right. See, we call it, we go out, we shop. And many of us have cars because the car didn't come to my house. I saw the car somewhere else and I liked it. Many of us have clothes that we saw somebody else with. Well, we we have to get our light. The Bible said, let our light so shine that men will see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. We have to get outside the walls and show people the light of the life that we live for Christ. We got to show people that we care about them. We do projects where we reach out to the homeless. We do projects where we reach out to those people because there has to be a level of drawing and reaching for God to work in people's lives. Yes, we're looking at, at, at two different patterns when you talk about the things that we put forth in the church. But those outside the church, you're going to have to represent the love of Christ to them. You're going to have to let them know you care about their needs, their, what they want, care about it. You're concerned about their, not only their, their just say their spiritual welfare, you're concerned about their physical, emotional, and mental. We have to interject the love into the community, summing it up. The love that Christ has in us in the church, we need to interject it into the community for those. All right, so what's the first step? What do you do? First step. How do we do this? First step. Well, you get some people that really have the love for people as well as souls. You set up times. You set up places. You either set up events outside the church. Go to different places. If you go to the parks, set up a place where you can be able to communicate to people, share flyers, meet the people where their need is. 
on a day-to-day basis, most of us meet many people. But how many people you stop and say, how you doing? How you feeling? And wait to get an answer. How many people have you walked up to, I mean, not just you, and walked up, how are you doing today? And waited to get an answer. Really got the answer. We say it, but do we mean it? I think maybe some of us mean it if we would do it, but I think there's the, the scare factor. It's like, how will we be received? You know, how is this how person going to take how How is this person going to take it when I come up to them, a person that I don't know, and I say, hey, how you doing? You know, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and you're wondering what type of backlash you're going to get from just going to that uh, perfect stranger and, and just, you know, I guess being Christ to them. And, and, and what you just said to me, I think I shared this with my brother one time. Well, you're basically saying I'm afraid to share Christ because mm-hmm. you have to be able to meet somebody. We are, most of us have Christ. But we're afraid to share Christ because asking you how you're doing and waiting for an answer is sharing Christ. We must, mm-hmm. if we really care about how you're doing, we got to see how you're doing. Mm. That person could merely say, I, have, I haven't aged in two days. If you don't get the answer, how can you help them? We have to, I think Mr. this got off, he said we have to be intentional. Mm-hmm. If we be intentional in our everyday walk, we can fulfill the purpose of helping other people. If our whole purpose is helping other people, we're intentional. See, when you go to the beach, to the beach you take a umbrella, you take the thing intentionally to be at the beach. Mm-hmm. Well, when we go out to show love, do you take the intentional thing to show love? Mm, wow. We have to be intentional. Be intentional. Yeah. I think sometimes, Lady G, we make love, make showing love more difficult than it is. We make caring for people a little more difficult than it is because of the fear. You said it. Is it going to require more of me than I want to give? Mm. If I ask you how you're doing, what you tell me how I'm doing is going to require me to give you more than I'm able to do. Well, remember this. As Jesus told the prophets, I sent you out. I give you what it takes. If you're going for the right reason, you'll be able to do it. Good. All right. Well, we just, like I said, wanted to address a little bit about trying to do some spring cleaning of ourselves and, and of our, you know, neighbors and uh, wanted to just kind of get that out there because when we think about spring cleaning, we are always thinking about our households or our offices, but we don't think about internally. And these are some of the things we need to think about. Reverend Blackman, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. And you be well and, and you and your family take care. Thank you so much. God bless you. And I always glad to be part of your show. Look forward to talking to you again. So definitely we'll have you back on soon. And thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Be well, be safe, be blessed. Talk tomorrow, God willing. And please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.
He'll make it all right. God is, God is able. Whatever you need, whatever you need, He'll supply. He'll supply. Whatever is broken, whatever is broken, He can fix it. He can fix it. No need to worry. No need to worry. He's alive. 